0: Hey, beautiful mama, and welcome to Bell and Beyond. I'm your podcast host, Katie, a mama of one little legend, Hunter, and we have been on the most wild health journey ever. My son was born and diagnosed with a cleft lip, and I want to share with you how I was empowered through it all. This podcast is for mums or soon-to-be mums and dads. Feel free to jump in too. It's a place to debunk the many motherhood myths that leave us feeling confused, lost, and misguided. I want you mama to walk away from every episode feeling empowered and educated to make choices that feel right for you and your family. My heart is to see mamas connecting back to their roots and being exposed to ancient wisdom with modern day education. I'll be bringing you open and real conversations around topics we are not talking about enough with people passionate about seeing you mama thrive from the belly and beyond. I'm so excited for today's episode with Amy. We actually tried a couple of times to record, but lots of things got in the way. And you know, sometimes you just feel like things try to interfere from a conversation that's meant to happen. I feel like that was one of those moments with Amy today, but we got there. We both persevered and it was absolutely beautiful to chat with her. You're going to love this episode so much. She has been on a really, really big journey with her IVF. It officially started seven and a half years ago before she fell pregnant with her first little girl who's now two, Alinta, But it really started back when she was 19 and she found out that her endo had damaged the reproductive system and the doctors basically said, it's going to be really hard for you to have a baby. You need to be open to the fact that it's going to be an IVF journey. And when you're 19, you don't even really know what that means. So her grieving and her processing started quite early on. So once that journey actually started, you know, going to the fertility clinic, beginning the process, there was this whole world that had to open up for Amy education and learning and what actually happens. And, The cycles of your period and ovulating and all of the details. It wasn't just put an egg and a sperm together and bam, you have a baby. There's so many other hurdles you've got to jump through. There's more emotions that come up than we ever could predict. And Amy truly is standing here now with her second bubba on the way, a little boy, which basically completes their family with a girl and a boy, which is just beautiful and she shares how it's going to bring so much light and love and joy to her parents who have never had a grandson before. So there's so many beautiful elements to this conversation. Amy's really real about creating awareness if you are a friend of somebody that is on an IVF journey or has had a miscarriage or is going through anything that is affecting them having a baby or even around femininity, even having you know, cancer and they've had a hysterectomy, there's so many things that can happen to us as women. Our reproductive system is actually very delicate. And the way that we were created, there's lots of intricate details. I know it's like "Mm, the men have a penis and I know they have so much going on as well. But honestly, we are the child bearers and we carry a lot. And we have that that mama heart literally from the moment that we were created. So it's in us. It's so innate. So I really love this conversation. I feel like it's going to create so much awareness and so much love and so much empathy. For those that go on this journey, like Amy is a very strong personality and has got a really, really strong positive mindset, but not everybody carries that personality trait or has processed this journey like that. And just to keep in mind that for some people going on an IVF journey is literally dark. And as Amy refers to, it feels like they're in a black hole. They literally are full of anxiety every step of the way and find it really hard to trust and release in the process. So I, for myself, hope that through this conversation, we're just a little less ignorant and a little bit more loving and a little bit more aware of what it's like. So we can be the best friend, sister, mother, woman to anybody that we come in contact with from here on in. So I know you're going to love this episode. Hi, well, welcome back to another episode of Bell and Beyond. I'm really excited to have Amy Marie here. This is our fourth time trying to do the podcast episode. Life is crazy and Amy's from Sydney, the Sutherland Shire. So that means things are ending with lockdown, Business is pumping. You're in the beauty industry. So did you want to say hi and just tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Hi. Hi, Caitlin. Thanks for having me. Finally getting on here feels like it was a mission to get here. Um, I own a beauty salon in Bar in the Sutherland Shire, like you said. So it's been a tough four months of lockdown in Sydney. And um, basically we just had the last five weeks, I think six weeks have been thrown back in the deep end of reopening, long hours, 14 staff literally run off their feet trying to do this backlog of people's hair and brows and lashes and everything. So it's been pretty crazy whilst pregnant and 40 and (laughs) exhausted.
0: Yeah. So firstly, congratulations on your second child. It's now been announced. It's a little boy, which is really exciting, which kind of complete to a family in a way because you've got a little girl and now you're wow. going to have a little boy so that's obviously super exciting and again was a big journey with your IVF so did you want to just share a little bit about how the excitement is feeling in your family and your little girl must be so pumped that she's going to have a brother because yeah. she's obviously been on the journey with you all and she's very aware of what she, mommy's going
1: through. She is so she's two she just turned two and I'm four months pregnant so it's been a crazy journey like you know seven and a half year journey to get to this far but um we did our transfer in lockdown which a few people thought I was kind of crazy but it was always the plan to do it mid this year not knowing that COVID would be in lockdown again so we stuck to the plan it was a bit of a um, not a lot of people know this but it was a bit crazy timing wise because my dad had a stroke in lockdown and Mm -hmm. my mum found out that she had breast cancer again so we kind of had this like traumatic timing in our family, and then we pushed on and said, no, we're still going to transfer. We need to have something really happy and exciting for the family to look forward to. So thank God it was good news and got everybody sort of uplifted after a really like sort of crappy few months in lockdown. So it was really exciting. So it's been really, really tough, but it's kept mum and dad going, I think, knowing that they've got, they don't have a grandson, so I'm giving them their first grandson. So it's really exciting.
0: And let's be honest, I don't know if it's just a grandparent thing, I don't know what what culture doesn't celebrate, but everyone gets so excited when there's a boy. I don't know if it's like some lineage, like monarchy thing that's like ingrained into us, but like... (laughs) My
1: husband was really excited when we had a boy, and he was like, "It's a boy! It's a boy! It's a boy!" But my husband was like, "I really wanted a boy." He's like, "I really." My husband's right into footy. His dad's right into footy, and my dad's right into footy. Thank God they all go for the same team, the Sydney Roosters, so we're all (laughs) on the same side. So they just really like wanted a boy, and they would have been happy with anything. But you know, my I when it all happened, I was like, oh my God, I didn't even realise my sister has a daughter and I have a daughter. Like, this is my parents' first, like, grandson. Like, how exciting. It's all new for them, which is so exciting for me to be able to give them that, especially after a real crappy time to just be like, they're getting something that they haven't had before.
0: Oh my gosh, I, I totally relate. My husband, family has lived on the same farm for 150 years. Oh my God. And technically, our son, if that kind should be taking over the farm because he's the Robertson yeah, where wow. they have another nephew, but that Not he would name his father's name because it's his sister. Yeah. So it's really, I fully get that and yeah. you know, the, the sense of pride and it's very beautiful. So just to back up the journey a little bit, this is the end of the kind of testimony. This is the exciting part where your family's got to celebrate, but I realise it hasn't always been like right. that in yes. your family. And there has been times of disappointment. And hardship and pushing through which I'm sure your parents have been there for you through that whole journey really probably felt like they've been in it with you so much they're like our baby too that you're having yeah Um, true so obviously there's been seven and a half years of this journey what was it like right back at the very start like I feel like now in today's society things are becoming a little bit more normal to talk about this and You're not the only um, woman out there that's sharing so openly. There's lots of women coming forward and being really honest. But I'm guessing seven and a half years ago, it was a little bit awkward Mm. and maybe it wasn't as easy to be vulnerable and it wasn't maybe as commonly spoken of. So what was it like? way back at the beginning that you maybe look back on now and you're like, wow, I've come so far. I'm so proud of myself.
1: Yeah. So it's really been a 20 year journey because I found out I had to do IVF at 19 and I am I just turned 40. So I had endometriosis or have endometriosis. My mom had endometriosis. My mom was lucky enough to just have four kids naturally and easy. She even fell pregnant with my brother on the pill. So, so much so that she like was trying to not have a baby and she felt pregnant. So I think my mum's really struggled watching it be hard for me when I've got the same disease as her. So it's like she had endo, I've got endo, but yet she had such an easy time, but she had her children early twenties. I'm having my children in my thirties, now 40. So it's just, I think it was just the prolonged timing of how long I had endo for. But when I was 20, at 19, I had a laparoscopy, my first, and they said, basically my tubes were so damaged and everything was so damaged. IVF, would be the only option for me when I chose to have a baby so I kind of grieved then so that was like as a 19 year old I was like devastated that I wouldn't be able to have that exciting moment of falling pregnant and having a you know peeing on a stick and having that with my husband um so then by the time I decided to start a family in my 30s I was 33 we kind of were really naive even though I knew a lot about IVF my sister had done IVF so I thought I knew all about it and I think the misconception even for people going into IVF is that you think that you get an egg and you get the sperm and you put them together and you have a baby like the science is that's what it is that's what happens so I thought that I could literally like choose my dates and my month of when I want to have a baby and just basically plan the whole thing out I didn't realize how much nature is involved of like you know, embryos don't always take and, you know, it's all on timing and and it's just not really that simple. They can create an embryo, but you're not guaranteed that the embryo is going to implant and become a baby. So I think that was the misconception for me seven and a half years ago. And I did keep it quiet for the first three years. So I've only been open about it sort of the last, um, yeah, like probably. 2017 it was when I finally opened up and talked about it, and it was my third transfer, and I had an ectopic pregnancy. So Mm. when I had the ectopic pregnancy, like I was in hospital, I had emergency surgery, and I had I opted for a double fallopian tube removal because I knew that my fallopian tubes were useless and I didn't need them with IVF. So I decided to have them removed whilst I was in hospital, and that was the moment that I said to my husband. Like, why are we being quiet about this? Why are we being secretive? No one knew I was pregnant. No one knew I was doing IVF. And I was so quiet about it. And I actually just opened up days later after the ectopic on social media. And my social media was very, very prominent like beauty blogging and you know spray tanning celebrities and going to the logies and it was all about that and then all of a sudden I just dropped this bombshell that basically I'd been doing IVF I'd fallen pregnant we were over the moon and the baby was healthy with a heartbeat and in my fallopian tubes and I had to have a medical termination so that's kind of where it started and it just like went crazy like (laughs) just it just, the floodgates opened and people just messaged me and I had so much support and I feel like it really helped me get through knowing that so many people had been through this or been through similar or knew someone that had been through it. And then all of a sudden my Instagram just went from like, I think I had about 8,000 followers and it just went through to like, you know, 21,000 followers I've got now because it's I'm like not being rude, but no one really cares about the beauty and the spray tanning and the the celebrities they they want this raw, authentic conversation that's back then really wasn't being had. So it gave people a chance to sort of relate and talk to someone that was going through it. It was crazy. And how
0: how did that feel for you? Because obviously people had an impression of you of this particular businesswoman and you kind of shifted gears a little bit and you're a bit vulnerable about who you are and you're like, there's actually more to me than just my business, my job or who I spray tan. I'm actually a real person going through real things.
1: I remember this message I got from this girl because my husband and I go on a lot of holidays, like that's our outlet. And when we're, you know, if we've had a failed transfer or if we're preparing for an IVF transfer, we would always go on a holiday. So we were holidaying like three times a year and I mean like Maldives you know, Cook Islands, Fiji, because that was what I needed to get my downtime from work, switch off, get ready to just start again. And that's what got me through. But I had this girl message me and said, you know, after I announced that I'd had the ectopic and, you know, how tough it had been. And she just was like, I actually unfollowed you. Because I thought your life was just too perfect. And she said, you know, all your holidays and all your amazing business and like the celebrities. And she's like, I just became just it made me just feel like crap about my own life. And she came back saying, I'm back now because I can, you know, relate to the things that you're talking about. And it just became more relatable. And it was well, my life wasn't perfect. You know, obviously people were seeing a highlights real like everyone else does on a lot of social media. I wasn't sharing the hard bits, but The really amazing holidays were because I was having such a hard time and that's why we were choosing to put, you know, our money into things like that to try and that was my therapy. But people were only seeing The amazing holiday they weren't seeing the you know the the horrible time that i was having at home doing injections and trying to do my ivf and gaining weight and losing weight and it was just this roller coaster so it just became more relatable and i just found that i had a more engaging audience so people started connecting with me and messaging me and i had mother-in-laws saying i've got a daughter-in-law who's going through ivf and i don't know how to talk to her what do i say you know so people just asking the questions that they're just unsure about what to do. And I think a lot of the problem is, is that people don't know what to say and they end up saying the wrong thing. And then it becomes a really awkward situation where people get angry because they're like, you know, I can't believe people keep, you know, the, the constant thing that people say is just relax and it will happen. And it's like, stop. Telling people to relax, but I don't think people are being malicious saying relax. They actually think they're helping, not realizing that they're really not helping. <laughs> it's like, so I think it's a conversation that needs to be had, and that's why I keep talking about it, and I keep and I'm writing a book at the moment, and it's got a lot of information about this, about what to say and what not to say, because I think there's just not enough education around it.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting that you bring that up, straighter, because one of the reasons I really wanted to get you on was because I wanted to say like for anyone that feels ignorant in this particular area, what not to say and what to say because yeah. it happens with all sorts of different things. I was talking to a friend about mental health the other day and I said, sorry if I sound really ignorant. I actually am oh, not sure how to handle this. No. I've never gone through, I've had anxiety. I've never, yeah. and she sat me down and she's like, this is what it's like. This is how you need to treat the person. This is literally what it's like for them. Yeah. And I was like, thanks so much for explaining that to me. Like, I I just don't know. And I hate that feeling that you... Yeah don't know what to say. And you say the wrong thing purely because you're uneducated. Yeah. And and you're
1: trying to be, to say the right thing. And in trying so hard to say the right thing, often the wrong thing is said. And it happens in everything, like in grief, when someone passes away and, you know, like you brought up the mental health, like I, my sister has mental health issues and I used to always say the wrong thing to her because I'm so like mentally strong. And I'd just be like, Oh, you know, you need to just suck it up. And you can't say that to someone that's in a black hole so and, and i had to get educated on those sorts of things and understand and i think it's the same as the ivf and i think the issue with the ivf is because it's not really spoken about and people that are going through it don't want to really talk about it a lot of them are navigating it themselves so they don't want to be talking openly about this while they're still trying to navigate it um So then it's kind of like the education's not getting out there because not enough people are talking about it and being open about it. And I was asked the other day, why I think people don't talk about it. And I think it stems from like a long time ago is that people are shameful. Like they think there's something wrong with them. Like, you know, why could I not have a baby? Is there something wrong with me? You know, is it my fault? And because people then feel like it's their fault, they don't want to openly talk about it and say they're struggling to, fall pregnant, which is something that's been in, you know, embedded in us, that this is natural for women to fall pregnant and have a baby. And if you're not doing it, then you feel like it's your fault and there's something wrong. So I think that we've got to get past that stigma. It's like, you know what, one in eight couples are struggling. A lot of it, I think is probably to do with us having babies later in life. People have been on contraceptive pills and things for 20 years things that didn't happen back then so i think that we've got to get past the stigma and go okay this is really happening there's one in eight couples that are struggling it's okay you can talk about it you're definitely not alone
0: Absolutely, there's so many environmental factors that impact all sorts of different things that people are going through. It's, it's very hard to be so black and white because yeah. everybody has different genetics, a different story, yeah. being different places, lives yeah. a different lifestyle. Like yeah. there is a lot that goes on in what creates somebody's health and wellness. That's right. It's huge. Yeah. Um, what would what is there like a situation where it doesn't? You have to you don't have to say names, but just for the purpose of education where you feel like you could, you would redo that. Like someone you were, you opening up to somebody about something and they just didn't know what to say. Like, what would you actually love someone to say to you when you're in the process of the transfer or in the process of going into the next round? What is it that you actually want people to be there for you? I think
1: the biggest thing is that everybody tries to give advice so everyone tries to give advice and they try and tell you a story. So there's always like a story, like my mum's friend, she, her daughter, she was trying to do IVF and then she stopped doing IVF and she fell pregnant naturally because they just went on a holiday and relaxed. And that's lovely. That does happen for some people, but I've had people say to me and people close to me say that to me, maybe you'll just relax. Even after I had a linter, I had people say to me, maybe you'll relax and your body will just know what to do the second time round. I don't have fallopian tubes. I can't fall pregnant naturally. Like the egg literally cannot get from the ovaries to the womb. So I'm like, people don't understand basic anatomy. That is how you get pregnant. So because they don't really think about that, they think that relaxing is going to help. It's not going to help a lot of people. So I think that even if you have a story that you think is positive, the best thing to say to someone is, I'm not really sure about what happens in IVF. So ask them to educate you if you want to know, like you just said that you asked your friend to be educated on the mental health side, but just say to people, I'm not going to harass you. You message me if you need me to like to vent or if you need a wine or if you want me to listen, I feel like it's the pressure sometimes of constantly being messaged saying, how are you feeling today? Or what's happening today. Sometimes people feel like if that's happening from 10 different people and you're getting 10 different messages asking every single day why, especially when you're in a two-week wait, waiting for the answer. So a two-week wait is from the egg gets transferred into you and you have to wait for this blood test two weeks later.
0: You're already anxious.
1: Torture. Like it is a torturous two weeks. The last thing you want to be doing is having everyone messaging you saying, how are you feeling? Like, do you feel anything? Have you got any symptoms? Because that's, And I think that's a big reason why a lot of people don't tell people when they're doing it. Because they don't want the pressure of people asking constantly like how are you feeling, what's going on. So I know, I literally know when everyone's doing IVF because everybody tells me. So I usually send a, bus- a, a text message at the beginning and we'll say like thinking of you, good luck. Don't, you know, let me know if you need anything like during this wait and I won't contact them again. Because... I'm not going to contact them in two weeks because the answer could be negative news and they might not be ready to talk about it, or it could be positive news that they're keeping to themselves and they're going to announce it later on, like at 12 weeks. So I just sort of like give my positive energy at the beginning and then let it go. And I think that it's probably that like not putting too much pressure on people to like know where they're at or what's going on or like keep me informed because that then becomes like a pressure for the person that's already in this stressful situation.
0: Yeah. Wow. And it's not like when you're maybe trying to have a baby, you don't always necessarily tell people that. And if you do get pregnant, no one knows that you've been trying because you haven't come out there and said it because it hasn't been a journey that you've been on. So then you can hide it for as long as you want. And then it does become this surprise. It's a totally different emotional space when you know people are watching you and they are cheering you on, but they also have no idea Mm. what to do. And do you think that also personality comes into it? Because when I've had different friends like, even in labor, yeah. you know, some friends really love you to be there for them, yeah. texting them all the time. I've yeah. had one friend, I was like, I didn't text her enough and check in yeah. on her enough. And then I've had another friend that's like, it's really stressing me out because oh, you oh, keep contacting me. Yes. And I've just learned with my experience, particularly with women in anything, I just try to say, how would you that's like right. me to be there exactly. for you?
1: Exactly.
0: Hey, yeah. Caitlin, I actually really just like, I need nothing. Like I just that need all that you know.
1: Exactly what I'm. Tr- that your message is exactly what I'm trying to tell people that they need to do because everyone's different. So I feel like if someone is on the journey, ask them what they need. Like, do let yeah. me know if you want me to come and have a wine with you, or let me know if you want to vent. But I don't want to put pressure on you to feel like you have to keep telling me. And I think. Everyone is different. So I've got friends that do IVF that go into this black hole and they don't want to be seen or spoken to. And that's okay. That's their that's their journey and how they're dealing with it. I've got other friends, like you said, that want to be like text every second day and say, you know, hey, I'm rooting for you and I hope it's happening. So it's you've got to just, I think it, the biggest thing is communication and not trying to guess like take the guesswork out of it just ask people what they want do you want me to contact you do you want me to leave you alone same as when someone has a baby initially I've got friends that are like when I have the baby don't come near me like don't come to my house don't rock up and I've got other friends like me I'm the friend that's like just drop coffee at my door (laughs) like I don't want to hang out just drop coffee at my door and go (laughs) like it's you've just got to gauge the person and their personality of what what is going to work for them to help them get through.
0: So basically in a nutshell, ask more questions, listen a lot and don't talk. Yeah. Don't offer advice and ask them how they would like you to best serve them and just
1: wait. A hundred percent. That is the message. <laughs> That's the key message. And just get educated. Like, you know, IVF isn't straightforward. It's like buying a car. There's a million different types. There's a million different reasons why people are doing IVF. It's not a one size fits all. And and sometimes people message me and ask for advice and I'll be like, what's your, your fertility issue? And it will be something that I've never touched on. And I'm like, I I can't, I can't comment on that. I've never, ever experienced that. I've never done genetic testing because I've genetic issues has not been my issue. So it's, it's not like IVF is a very blanket term for a lot of issues across the board. So When you give advice about IVF, you could be giving the complete wrong advice. Even for me who's educated, I would never just give a blanket advice about IVF because I'm like, your issue could be completely different to mine.
0: And I'm also assuming that different fertility clinics also have different
1: processes, different techniques, different... Avenues. And one of the biggest things right now I'm dealing with in I'm in support groups and I like try and answer questions to girls all the time in the Facebook support groups for IVF Australia. And one of the biggest things that's coming up a lot that I'm really feeling connected to is a lot of clinics grade your embryo. So you get an embryo and then they grade the quality of it. No, it's not the quality, sorry. It's really what it looks like. So it's whether the cells have split perfectly or not perfectly. And I've got a friend who's an embryologist who when I first did my first round of IVF said to me, grading means nothing it's just, is it a pretty embryo or is it an ugly embryo? It doesn't mean it's going to work or it's not going to work. It doesn't mean that your kid's going to have a genetic illness or something. It's just how pretty it looks in the Petri dish, right? So she said, that's great that they grade them, but A grades or level one, whatever your clinic calls it, doesn't necessarily mean this is a perfect embryo and it's going to work. So people put their best embryos in first, their best gradings first, and they often fail. And then they think, well, what hope am I going to have with my poorly graded embryo if my good one didn't work? And my friend who's an embryologist said to me, get it out of your head. The, The poorly graded embryos work all the time. Her words to me were, there is ugly embryos walking around you everywhere. She's like, they're everywhere. They're just ugly embryos. They're still good people. So the interesting part is, is, my embryo that is now I'm pregnant with was my worst graded embryo in my whole journey. My ninth transfer, worst graded embryo, so poorly graded at my old clinic that when I transferred it to my new clinic, they said to me, we wouldn't have even frozen that. We would have discarded it. And here I am pregnant, four months pregnant, with what seems to be a perfectly fine child. So it's just like, you know, education again around this whole new thing of grading. So when girls write things on the support group, I'm like, ignore the grading, ignore it. I'm pregnant with a terrible graded embryo and it's totally fine. And it's very common. That's what's happening. People are pregnant and having perfectly great children on a poorly graded embryo. So it's so deep and technical and your different clinics do have your different ways and protocols that from one clinic to another are completely different. My clinic wouldn't have even frozen this.
0: Wow. And how do you not let the medical (laughs) jargon mess with your head? Because I know for me, like I didn't necessarily go on the same process as you. Mine was on the other side once the baby actually was created yeah I then got told at my 20-week scan he was diagnosed with a birth defect cleft lip cleft yeah. palate they yeah. obviously want to check his heart his brain and they just started speaking all of this stuff they even actually gave me permission to abort yeah I felt crazy. like it was too hard for me and I was like sorry what And I'm not judging anyone that's made that decision, but for me it I literally looked the OB in the eye, I was like, do not ever say that to me again. Yeah. I am here for a different reason. Yeah. And I just remember my head getting so overwhelmed by all this stuff, I just had to like cut it all out and just kind of go back to me and just trust the process a little bit and not let them with the grading and dictate to me what's going to be successful and isn't successful. At the end of the day, it is an embryo. Yes. It's it's a life. So How did you anchor to like, what do you anchor to? Or how did you process through that to just keep trusting that every time they did that transfer, regardless of the grading, like you had a chance.
1: I mean, for me, I'm like a little bit alternate and spiritual. And I actually went to, I go to a particular psychic and she predicts a lot of stuff to me. So I focus a lot on what she tells me. And she predicted that my daughter was going to be born in November. She predicted like a lot of things with her. She said to me in April this year, I went to her and she said, you're going to um, be pregnant at your daughter's second birthday. And it's a boy. So the fact that she had said that I just hung on that and hung on it and hung on it and hung on it. So when I rung my fertility specialist and said, we're going to transfer this embryo. I've just had it moved from my old clinic. It's been in the freezer for seven and a half years. I moved it to my new clinic and said we're going to transfer it. And my, I love my fertility specialists. Don't get me wrong, but they're just like they're just not normal people. <laughs> like they, like you said, they jump straight to the abortion or they're going to allow you to do this. Her initial conversation with me just was dismissive. So she looked at the paper and said, "Oh, it's a terrible grade. Let's get prepared to use your next embryo because this, pro- like, it probably won't work." So that was just her straight away her answer. And I just said negativity
0: into you straight away.
1: She literally could have, if I was a different person had made me spiral into, Oh my God, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. But I just kept focusing on no, like I'm going to be pregnant at my daughter's second birthday, which is May, which means uh, this has to work. I have to have this work. And I just kept focusing and focusing on it. But I remember now like being four months pregnant and I was talking to a girlfriend the other day and I was like, I could have let that get in my head. Like if I just let her comment get in my head, it could have taken me in a completely different like headspace of negativity, and but I just had to keep focusing that like no, my plan is that I'm having this baby and I'm pregnant at my daughter's second birthday, and I was pregnant. I was like twelve weeks pregnant at my daughter's second. No, I was yeah thirteen weeks pregnant at my daughter's second birthday. Like it happened how the psychic said it, but it was lucky that I had that to hold on to because so many people get told little niggly things. And they just hang on to it and can't get past it. And I understand that. Like you have to be a really strong person to go, no, I'm going to keep my headspace where I'm keeping it. Like I've got girlfriends going through IVF now that are really in a bad mental state and they're not coping and they can't see past the fog. They're just like, this is just not going to work. I had a girlfriend message me this morning saying, it's not going to work. And I just said to her, she's like, how do you stay positive? And I'm like, I, I can't teach you how to do that. Like you either do or you, you're not like, you've got to get the tools for yourself. And it's for me, I did do a lot of that. I wasn't always like heap spiritual, but I had to like go and find things like acupuncture, meditation. I've not through since COVID, but before COVID was happening, I was doing sound healing and breath work, like things that were just grounding me and keeping me focused on what I'm focused on. I've got a mood board in my office and I put up on my mood board the transfer date when my baby's going to be born. Like that is my vision board. It's going to happen. And I feel like if I don't put it on my vision board, it doesn't happen. But what I put on my vision board happens. And it's it's not for everyone. It's a bit mumbo jumbo and people think it's like whatever. But when you when you've been on a journey like me, you get to a point where you have to do anything like I think I didn't make a lot of changes initially in the first couple of years and then and I was like I'm not changing my lifestyle and I'm not I'm healthy and I'm fit and then by the end I was like no alcohol no caffeine like you know changed my exercise regime I had a vision board and it was like you, you are so desperate for what you want that you'll do whatever you ha- whatever it takes to get there.
0: How you all feeling? I know this is a big one. I know this is a really big conversation if for anybody that is going on an IVF journey or has had disappointment. I hear you. I see you. I feel you. And if this episode is a little bit triggering, please reach out to a friend or contact a counsellor or someone that's a really good support for you. Because I don't want you to leave this episode feeling worse than when you got on. I, I hope this episode has filled you with hope and encouragement and that you're not alone on this journey and that you can hear the testimony in Amy's voice and hear how far she's come and the woman that she's actually crafted within her to be able to now give back and of service to so many. And obviously her Instagram is in the show notes. If you don't already know, go over there and follow her. And as you said, she really has become a beacon of hope and a really good support in this season for women. I do so believe in the power of the mind. Like I know you were saying like, yeah, don't just tell me to relax. I don't have fallopian tubes, but you have a brain. That's right. <laughs> you have a brain and a mind and we're the highest form of creation. No yeah. other creation on the planet has a mind like we do. And your thinking and your belief that actually is something that really does matter. Yeah. That is something that really does affect your entire 100%. body and would affect the transfer going well and would yeah. affect your energy, and your frequency and your flow. And you actually would be relaxed yeah. in that part if your yeah. mind is feeling so positive. And sorry, if this is an ignorant question, that lady that remo- like made those remarks about your embryo, yeah. other than transferring it and it might not have worked, and there would be obviously the disappointment and the emotional effect of that. Is there any like detriment to actually giving it a go? Like, what what's the harm in actually trying? Like, if
1: she did push for you to discard it and
0: you listened, yeah, like by trying other than being disappointed, is there right. anything else bad that it can just, happen?
1: It's only, no, nothing. So it's just literally like you've got your, it's just like a normal ovulation. So they put the embryo in on your ovulation. And then if it doesn't work within the two weeks, and then I do have another frozen embryo. So it means that the other frozen embryo, she would just do on that next ovulation. So it's very similar to a natural, like people conceiving natural. And I say that to people all the time is that don't discuss, if you're doing IVF and you're trying to conceive, you're no different from a person that's married and having sex and every month checking their ovulation and trying to have a baby. Like your journey is the same, except you're doing, obviously you're doing injections and your hormones are crazy, but you're both on the same journey. So when my friends are trying to have a baby naturally and every month they've got the disappointment of getting their period and then it takes them 12 months of fail and fail, that's similar to doing 12 months of IVF. Like that pain and that hurt of failure is the same it's just a bit cheaper it's not as expensive and you don't have yeah. all the hormones pumped in you but it's still like I don't discard my friends that take a long time to get pregnant naturally because I'm like you're doing what I'm doing just we're doing it differently I'm doing it science in a lab you're doing it at home having sex which would be nice but like it's just not how the cookie yeah. crumbled for me
0: The only reason I ask is because I just feel like there was so much that went into getting those embryos frozen in the first place, right? For me, like I, maybe this is, I just wouldn't understand. Someone knew what it took to get those embryos and the fact that we freeze them to keep them for when you're ready to go again, why on earth would anyone not take a 50% chance of like doing it? What if you didn't
1: have any more left? So she was saying that they don't, freeze anything that is lower than a 2.5 level. So they only do up to 2.5 grading and mine was a grade three. So mine was like 0.5 below what they freeze on. And I think the reason why that's their cutoff is because the actual chance of it thawing and surviving is low. So because it's a low grade, she's like, it might not thaw from the freezer and survive, but I'm like, who cares? It is disappointment because if you thaw a frozen embryo and it doesn't survive the thaw you literally get a phone call on the morning of your transfer saying we're really sorry your embryo didn't survive and then okay. you don't go and so it, that is really heartbreaking for girls that happened to has happened to and i sometimes think to myself i know it's not ethically right but like shouldn't they just put it in and make them feel like they but then i guess they just let them down before that and they don't put them through the two week wait but that's why my clinic thinks is that the thaw doesn't always survive, so okay. that's why we don't freeze. But mine survived, and and I'm pregnant, so I'm like, it's not all. It's not always the case that they don't survive. So I'm with you. I'm like, I think that you should just for if it's good enough to freeze, if it's good enough for one, just clinic, freeze
0: everything and freeze just them. thaw yeah. everything. That's what. That's why I'm like, I just don't. Why wouldn't you just freeze every single thing and you could? I mean, there's obviously money and other
1: stuff. I've been paying storage fees for seven years. years I've been storing $600 a year. I was paying just to store this baby and store and store. So, technically, this baby I'm about to have is really the older sibling of my daughter because it was in 2014 and she was born in 2019. So, it's kind of crazy like it was created before her, but then born after her. So, and I always used to say like, I'd love to have a boy first and then a girl. So I really did have a boy first and then a girl, but I just, she was born first and then he came second. But it's just so technical and it really is hard to be in a good headspace. And I understand why people get really like out of control because they don't have anyone to talk to. And I think that's why my socials is just blown up because they feel like I'm someone they can talk to. So I, I have daily conversations and I reply to everybody that messages me. I spend every day time allocated to respond to people because I know how hard it is for them to open up and say, Hey, like, this is what I'm going through. Like I've just had a miscarriage or I've just had, I've just done an IVF transfer and it's, and it's failed. And it's, they don't have anyone to talk to because they feel like it's this secret society and it's in, and no one knows about it and no one understands except someone that's going through it. So it's really tough. Like it's a tough headspace to be in and to be in alone.
0: Wow. Okay. Okay. I totally hear everything you're saying and it's. I think it's wonderful that people feel comfortable to talk to you. I think it's good that you're actually in a place in yourself that you you can talk about it without it triggering you so much that affects your day-to-day mental health. Yeah. How have you handled being the boss businesswoman that you are, like business and running a business and your career has actually been really important to you alongside being a mom and I think that is such a tension in modern day women, period. There's so many of us, including myself that actually have lots of passions outside of being a mom. How have you managed that while also managing your business and holding and being a wife and holding all these different balls, but still pursuing having a bigger family? Like how do you actually do all of that and
1: stay centered? It is, it's hard. It's harder than I thought. Like I always... I've always been workaholic. Like I've always just thrown myself into work and that's been my passion because I love what I do and I love being in this space with women and empowering women to feel their best. So I feel like I I feel like... Of everything, I feel like my work probably doesn't get as enough attention now that I have a family because my daughter is all my attention ninety nine percent of the time. I've put her in daycare, and I had that battle of like that mum guilt. I put her in daycare earlier this year, and I started to really get upset and struggle with it because I was like, I tried so hard to have you, and then now I'm paying for other people to look after you because. Wow, I really wow. struggled with it, and it was hard. And so it was pre-COVID, so it was like February. And if she cried when I dropped her off, it really hurt me because I'd be like, "Yeah, you don't want to be here." And so I had this whole thing of like, maybe I won't go back to work. Like I'm always working. You know what it's like. I'm always working on my phone at home, but I mean physically going into the office, I was going in two days a week, and I really struggled with it. And I had a girlfriend say to me, you know, that's not fair on you you will she will love you for it because the time that you have with her you will give her more attention rather than being on your phone 24/7 and not giving her attention she's like it will it'll balance out and so we pulled her out of kindy for covid and then for the 4 months and then I put took her back when we started we reopened and now she literally loves it like waves to me and walks off my husband picked her up yesterday cuz i was working and he he rung me and said we have the happiest 2-year-old in the world and i said and he said I picked her up from kindy and she skipped out and was singing he said it was just like amazing that she was so happy like just the happiest kid so I've just learned that they're giving her attention I can't give her they're painting and they're teaching her she learns things I don't even like I wouldn't even dream of teaching her so I've really in the last couple of weeks realized it's healthy to have that balance it's healthy for me to have work and her to have kindy and then we reconnect when she comes home and I mean she goes to bed early at seven and I do work at night I love my work if I didn't love my work I don't think the juggle would be easy I think people go into a job they hate And missing out on family time would be a real struggle. But if you love what you do and you're passionate about what you do, I think it's easy to have that balance. I mean, the only thing that's missing in my life right now is the gym. Like I'm a gym junkie. I train every day at 5 a.m. I haven't trained properly for seven months. I've just been doing like one or two days here. Normally, I'm like a five, six day a week person, but I just am tired and doing the work. Doing, uh, looking after my daughter and being pregnant, I've really struggled and I'm like the one thing that's had to miss out is the gym. And I'm trying to get back like this week my OB was like, you're probably tired because you're not going, you need to go because it's that vicious cycle. So I'm trying to get back into it now, but I feel like I do often think about people that have the same 24 hours in their day. They talk about Beyonce and people like that have got the same 24 hours in the day and look how much they do. I know they've got paid nannies and things like that, but I'm surrounded like do, doing work with Channel 9. I'm surrounded by a lot of like women that juggle family and work. And I think that I've been doing work with Channel 9 for about seven years now. So I think that having those kind of mentor people around me, the Georgie Gardners and the Lisa Wilkinsons and Erin Molan makes me say like, I can do it. Like I can have a family and have another child. It's going to be tough, sure, but it's rewarding, but I can still have my business and still have that running alongside. And I've got good staff. I think that really helps as well.
0: Oh seriously And are we ever going to get it perfectly right one minute we feel like we're nailing with our husband but then our kids yeah. annoyed at us we're nailing it at work and then our kids slamming yeah. our laptop down <laughs> mommy mommy play with me like we're never going to have it yeah. all perfect something's always going to have to give yeah. i just got given the advice try to rotate what's giving yeah. on a regular basis yeah. so it kind of becomes a little bit even not just the one <laughs> thing giving for like months on end like your husband is like
1: yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like just try to always shift. But I was just thinking, when you're saying how much she loves daycare, that's going to be really handy when this little boy
1: comes along yeah. because you're going
0: to be like, Ooh, I okay, just, no, you you want to go play daycare? I'm with the baby. planning.
1: I'm like, do I ring them now and say, give me a third day? Like, do I preempt that because she's loving yes. it so much? I might as well get yes. her in a third day yes. because she cried the other day at six o'clock at night when I said, Are you going to school tomorrow, and she was like, yeah, and then. She held my hand and walked out the front to the car, and I was like, "No, no, not tonight. Tomorrow." And she cried. So I'm like, "Do you know what, mate? If you love school that much, like I'm totally happy to send you there and give you another day. I know that it's helping her and making her happy. So it's made me just feel less of that mum guilt. I know that it's rewarding for her to be doing all of those cool things. So, and I do want to bond with the baby without having a toddler there 24 seven. So it's definitely gonna be handy next year when the baby comes."
0: And it's going to be a boy. It's a different experience when you have your second. You're in a different mindset when you have your second. It maybe was a different journey falling pregnant with the second. Like everything, I'm sure is different. The second time,
1: different. I had a a horrific traumatic birth with AJ so now I'm just like trying to do all this like hypnobirthing and calm yes. birth. Yeah, trying to just get into a different headspace to be like I'm not gonna let the last one taint this one you know people are saying, I saw you share that yeah people are telling me like you know just get a c-section and like you know hats off to people that go and get a c-section but that's major surgery like I don't really that's for me not an easy option that's not the easy way yeah. out and not with a two-year-old like picking her up and having a baby as well so I'm like like I kind of want to, you know, and I'm I'm funny like that. Like I want to beat the universe. I want to be like, no, like I didn't enjoy the first one. I want, I'm desperate to have a beautiful experience for the second one. Like I'm just so desperate. And like I was just saying, I have like really good relationships with Lisa Wilkinson. She in particular had a horrific first birth and her second and third, she's, I, I saw her only a few months ago, she came into the salon and she said to me, I promise you it can be a better experience. And she's like, my first was so bad, but my second and third were beautiful experiences. So I'm just trying to like, you know, myself with all the equipment to try and make that happen this time around. So it's completely different.
0: One of the reasons I started this podcast because I was determined that women could feel like they could rewrite their birth story no matter what happened. Like there's a lot of things that happen we can't control, but there is a lot of things we can have an influence in if we understand birthing language and lingo and what people are talking to us about. And we can put a little bit more of a fight on than people think that we can, right? We're not as submissive as... We need to be in the birth, yeah. like the, the labor room. So I 100, percent, and you're already going in there with probably a totally probably different right. mind frame yeah. than you went the first time. The first time you're going in, like I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm just trusting. Yeah. I'm just so glad I'm pregnant. Yeah. This has been the longest journey. The second time you're like, ah, make way, I'm yeah. coming through, yeah. and yeah. I'm birth my baby, well, and I'm gonna boss it. Well, the but- first
1: time I was so naive because again I thought like, oh my god, I had this like really hard journey to get pregnant. Surely that's my hard, right? So I'm gonna be blessed with this like easy birth because you know, the universe feels sorry for me. And that just was not the case. And I got in there and it was just so much harder, but I feel like mentally I could have handled it. I just was out of control. I felt like I yeah. didn't have control. And I'm like, if I go in next time with control and a better headspace, I feel like I could have made it better, but I just need to arm myself with all of that. Like I'm not letting the first one ruin the second experience. And I've seen so many people say how good their second experience is when they've just, you know, gone in with a different plan yeah
0: seriously and that bliss moment can look so differently and like I envision my second birth already I envision because I couldn't breastfeed so I literally have dreams of myself breastfeeding breastfeeding. yeah I'm going to breastfeed the second time like I can see myself being like the happy crying person after having a baby rather than
1: the manifestation yeah. and it works. It really works. Like it, I feel like you can manifest anything to happen and it's just regaining that control. So that's my journey. Now I'm Googling like crazy and people are sending me book titles of hypnobirthing and I'm trying to find people that I can do courses with. Cause I'm just like, I want to be armed with everything. I want to be so prepared.
0: I love that. We did Sheba. Yes, Have shebirth. you heard of Sheba? I've looked
1: at this. Yes
0: good. It's it's a little bit more expensive, but it's the only birthing course that I looked into that was really well balanced between medical Mm -hmm. and like intuitive. It wasn't too left. It wasn't too right. It was really centered. And I feel like I went into the birth space and I knew the lingo. I feel like I knew how to talk to midwives and doctors. And if they said something to me, I could question them. I felt really educated. It wasn't just hey, let's learn how to breathe. Because I wasn't just breathing when I had a baby. I was freaking roaring like a lion. I needed more than breath. And so I was like harmless. yelling. <laughs> so I loved that really kind of, I know what's happening yeah. feeling. And you're probably a little bit that personality. I to you like to know what's going on. Yeah. Um, it was fantastic. Yeah.
1: See, that's I what want. I want. That's I'll, I'll look at that properly now. Cause that's what I want. I just want to be armed with all the tools and I'm like you, I couldn't breastfeed. I did two months and it killed me, like killed me. So it's I just, hard. I want to, I want to just, but I also felt like really pressured to just breastfeed. So this time I'm just like, I want to just connect with my baby and whatever happens, I want to just not put pressure on myself either way. If it happens, amazing. But I don't want to be feeling guilty if it doesn't happen. I just want to, my mom didn't breastfeed any of us four kids. She just couldn't get it. So I'm just like, I just want to be very like relaxed in whatever decision I make and whichever way I go, I just want to do what's best for me and the child so that it's us connected and not putting pressure on ourselves. Absolutely.
0: That's a whole other conversation, but that's something I'm so passionate okay. about, which people don't talk about enough. And yeah. it's called breastfeeding grief. Yeah, And people also say stupid things to yeah. you when you're going through breastfeeding grief. 100%. And you're allowed to feel sad and disappointed yeah. that didn't work, yeah. even if fed is best. Yeah. But it's not about fed is best. It's just, I'm sad that didn't happen. Yeah, the time. You're allowed to be yeah. sad about a lot of things. Yeah. But this society doesn't let you be sad about anything. And I think oh, that's
1: the thing. Crazy. Even with IVF and with and and with miscarriage and all of these things, I feel like people do feel pressured into not grieving. And I'm going through this with someone right now who just told me someone that's close to me just told me they had a miscarriage during Mm. um lockdown and she hadn't told anyone and she she just told me like two days ago and she just she just broke her heart crying and Mm. i said to her like it's she wasn't telling any of her family or anyone right so it's this big secret but i just said to her like it is these feelings are valid and i think that's what the issue is is that people feel guilty about being upset when it's an early pregnancy Mm. loss and i'm just like a pregnancy really? is a life, and you just lost a life, you are allowed to grieve. And I think that that's why I'm really passionate about talking about miscarriage and my losses and saying, someone did say to me, not directly to me, but to someone else that told me, that someone said, I don't know why Amy's so upset like she was only like nine weeks pregnant when I had the first loss. And I just was like, is that really what people think? Is that like, do people really think that? I found out it was someone that had never had a loss. So I was like, I don't really think that you're in a position to even make a comment like that. And you know had, had they had a baby? Yeah, they had, had, had they a had baby. Actually? They'd had a baby, but they hadn't ever had a miscarriage. But I'm like, imagine if your baby that you have now, you lost at nine weeks. Like it doesn't matter how many weeks you lose a baby
0: there's something else going on there for that person yeah. because as soon as you become a mother there's like a chemical change that happens in your yeah. brain and you are forever emotional yeah. about anything, anything to do with children that's why you cry when you see those little kids yeah. in africa starving after you've had a baby yeah. because you've had a baby yeah. and your brain is changed forever but so I there's just, something
1: you know, going on with that person you know, like society that. really needs to like learn that it's it's valid your feelings are valid you are allowed to be grieving and you are allowed to be devastated whether you lose a baby at four weeks or four months or nine months or anywhere anywhere you you are allowed to be upset and i think that it's validating those feelings and making people feel like they're seen and and that it's okay to feel like that and that's what i just said to this girl recently i'm like you are totally allowed to feel like that you can break your heart you can you don't need to explain your behavior or why you're upset and and this is probably why i hate the 12 week rule because i'm like why do we hide that we're pregnant when it's such a beautiful and exciting and amazing news. We hide it for 12 weeks because the, in case we lose the baby, we don't want anyone to know. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, why wouldn't you share your amazing news when you get it? And then if you do lose the baby, then you've got amazing support around you and people that can grieve with you and basically support you getting through the grief. So it's like I hate the 12 week rule. It's like I would like like to abolish it. Like I want it gone. Wow. I've like never thought of
0: it like that. People
1: should announce their pregnancy when they want to announce their pregnancy and not try and fit into this old rule from whatever and and I say to people sometimes why do you wait till 12 weeks and they're like I don't know like you wait till you get that scan and make sure that everything's okay and I'm like but what if everything's not okay like you you grieve on your own like quietly at home with your husband and no one knows why you're acting strange or not coming out or you're not socializing what you should people should support you when you've and you missed the moment you missed the moment of saying I'm pregnant and everyone being like, Oh my God, I'm so excited. You missed it because then you have a miscarriage. And so you didn't get that moment at all. So I just feel like people should get that moment. Even if they lose the baby, they should have the exciting, amazing moment of I'm pregnant. Wow. I just, wow. Yeah, it,
0: That's quite profound.
1: It's crazy. I just think it's just such a crazy, I had to battle with my husband because he sort of was scared when I was pregnant with Alinta. So we, we negotiated week eight
0: well, Sounds
1: like my husband. <laughs> we negotiated week eight, so it was like not twelve weeks, but he wouldn't let me announce it four weeks, which was when we found out. So we had four weeks of just this limbo, and then we announced that um, we were pregnant at eight weeks. But then with um, this baby, I said to him, and obviously I have to respect that he's half of this family, and I have to respect his feelings. And I just said to him, "How do you feel about me doing?" the whole transfer live like in real time and he just was like this time around like yeah do we want like it's fine okay
0: he's he's processed through it and it wasn't as new for him anymore exactly (laughs) like my husband he didn't want anyone to know anything about our our Mm -hmm. journey with hunter he didn't want anyone to know about his condition they didn't want anyone to know anything and And for me
1: with his cleft palate or he was he already had two before he oh, was yeah. one. Yeah. Wow. Two, two, so he's two hour surgery. He a trooper.
0: Yeah. We joke. we're like, great. He's had more plastic surgery. Like why can't we get more plastic? My husband loved to get his nose fixed and yeah. Hunter's already going in for another nose surgery in a couple of years. Yeah. He's going to, he's going to get his grafting done yes. when he's nine. And we're like, this kid is going to be literally Brad Pitt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and we're going to be the ugly, yeah. ugly parent. Yeah. We don't not like that. But, I feel like maybe you were similar to me that actually sharing your story, oh. and being open about it actually really helped you for me, him making me keep it secret actually started to rot my soul. Yes. And it actually felt like it made me feel like I was starting to get depression yes. because I don't love holding everything. And I actually process by talking about it right. with close friends and, feeling restricted in that I actually felt like I was suffocated and it took him a while to get through that because he's so private and to this day I've never shared a photo on social media of what Hunter looks like before because he felt like it was his right to share it when he's an adult and even that I felt like but that's like we're shaming on him and I want to be proud of who he is and he's like he didn't see it like that yeah so we had very different Different perspectives and it was just like allowing each person to process the situation themselves and and now he's so chill about everything it's like so
1: hard for your and my personality because we're like this is what we want to do and then we've got the brakes over here saying oh no 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 we're not doing that and I'm like this yeah. is what I'm doing, like, <laughs> what I'm doing and, and I call him the road yes. in my life he slows yes. me down he has all the time the breaks in the accelerator. and I'm like But this is, and I have to keep reminding myself, this is our journey. This is not his, this is not my journey or his journey. This is our journey. So I do need to be respectful of his feelings. And sometimes I go and post things and I'll have to like ring him beforehand and say, oh my God, I'm about to post this. Are you okay with it? And I mean, now he's so used to me doing it that he's just like, yeah, whatever. But early days, it was like, you know, some things I'd be like, I'm going to post this. And he was just like, no like you can't freaking out even the birth yeah. photo so my daughter was born at 11 11 on the first of the 11th and and I we're saw that. very spiritual like we're right into the eleven eleven thing like you know my and one of my friends <laughs> passed away six weeks before my daughter was born and she was right into 11 11 so we're like oh my god she's doing this like she's made this happen so I said to Scott we were going to have a birth photographer and then I armed an art about it and I didn't know if I wanted to do it and I, I just I didn't know what my birth was going to be like I'd never done it before so I just at the last minute said no nah, I'm not doing it so I said to Scott can you take photos of when she's born just so I've got something to look back on because I'm going to forget this like you know the brain fog I'm just going to forget it so he took photos like as she was coming out and because she came so out good. non-responsive she's like yeah, and floppy so he like initially was like oh my god she's born at 11 like and he's pumped but then he's like oh shit, like these photos are of her like unresponsive. So once she got sorted, they resuscitated her, brought it back in and everything was fine. He later said to me, I think we should delete those photos. And I was like, no, 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 don't. Like I need to process it. Like don't delete anything. Like just keep everything and we'll talk about it later. And then it took us a while to like process the whole like birth trauma and like, you know, that how she was born and how upsetting it was. And then, you know, she was fine and it was great. So it was a positive experience. And I was like, no, I want the photos, and I want to share them, and I did. I shared them, like at some point, I did share them on my social media. But I had to say to him, "Are you okay with me sharing this photo of her, like born unresponsive?" And he was fine with it. But it had to be a conversation because he is ultra sensitive and and you know much more private than I am, sort of like your husband. And it's like, you know, we've got to find this middle ground for the two of us where it's okay to do what we're doing, or you know, make sure that we're both happy. And on the same page, not just putting everything out there. And, you know, it is, I guess, like, I don't look at things the way that your husband and my husband look at things, but I guess it is your son's journey as well. And we do have to be mindful of that too. I mean, I'm sort of not really, <laughs> I just put everything out there, but I'm like, you know, I would never do anything that would hurt my child. I've always got their positive. I just think it's it helps so many people that must count for something.
0: Yeah. Wow. Oh, I I totally relate on so many love. Just before we like wrap it up, I would just love to know looking at, well, you can go as far as that 19 year old woman that, you know, got that news, or it can be when you started your IVF journey, what, nearly eight years ago now, looking at that whole journey and you sitting right here now, being on a podcast, writing a book, sharing across different platforms. Like, what are you the most proud about yourself on this journey? Like, what do you look back on and go, do you know what? I actually can't believe that I've become this person or this is, you know, crafted in my character.
1: Yeah, I feel like like this topic has just come up recently for me and it's weird because people, because I had this beauty business and helped women feel good about themselves, people, I remember a friend who was a cop said to me, like, that must be so rewarding for you. And I was like, oh, it is but I knew there was something more like I knew that there was always going to be something more like helpful and more deep that, that I was going to do in life, but I didn't know what it was. Like, I was like, am I going to go back to uni? Am I going to do some different career? Am I going to change paths? So when this kind of all just, you know, happened, right. And then, and Obviously, like eight years ago, I wouldn't have thought that I would be on this eight-year journey. I just thought I was going to do IVF and have a baby and then my life was just going to be normal like everybody else. But as it just kept going and all the, all the hurdles and the bumps and everything that came, I really, really, and especially writing like right now, writing my book, I'm really reflecting on it. And it's like this is what my life purpose is. And it's weird because I didn't choose it. And I didn't, I wouldn't have chosen it. Like if I had a choice that I wouldn't have gone, oh, hey, like, let's struggle to have a family and let's have all these issues. But it's definitely become what I'm meant to do. And I and it's definitely become my voice and who how I'm helping people is in a way that I never would have thought. So it actually makes me proud, even though it's a really horrible and hard thing. It's made me proud to go, well, like, you know what? I've done it. I've been through all of this and there's something that I can give back to people that are going through now. And it's, and it's, you know, it it can't be a learnt experience. It's not a university degree that got me here. It's, it's just life. Like my life journey has now become, you know, this, I've become a voice for IVF and endometriosis and miscarriage and now birth trauma and like, you know, mumming. And it's like, this has become a voice that's helped people that I never would have dreamed of helping like people all, I get random countries messaging me like UK and Brazil and India and Singapore. I've got people messaging me. So I'm like, I never would have thought I'd be helping people in these countries around the world, try and get through their grief and what they're going through. So I guess, yeah, Yeah. it's become my calling.
0: And also in a lot of those countries, they have very different belief system and speaking online the way that you do would be totally against their religion and their culture. And a lot of the time they keep all of those things so secret and locked up and they're actually shamed in like, you know, the caste system and stuff like that. So to be able to jump on a phone and see you all the way over in Australia actually would be the most life altering thing for them in their day. And I literally some, would bring them hope.
1: And a lot of them are like multiple messages over years where they've just been connecting with me and connecting with me because they've got no one to talk to. And I'm just like, you know what? This is what I'm meant to be doing. Yes, I love my beauty business and I love making women feel amazing, but this is what I'm meant to be doing.
0: Wow. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I feel like I had all these questions that were probably a little bit more technical and that's what I do. And then I end up going off script. I don't end up looking at any of my questions. I keep looking over and all these other stuff keeps coming in my head because as I'm getting to know you as we're talking, I'm like, what about this? So thanks so much for just like going on the ride with me and um, sharing and being so real. I think, yeah, this conversation was super relatable for so many women. I have quite a few friends on the journey at the moment and I just want to be A really good friend for them and be there for them so a little bit selfishly I kind of wanted to know for my (laughs) own circle of friends but I know that um the podcast will get out there and obviously it will help so many people even if they never go through this in their whole life just having that love and empathy and deep care for others makes such a difference in our sisterhood right together we're we're in
1: this together we're all women yeah exactly thank you you so much thank you thanks for having me
0: we could have talked all day Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Bell and Beyond. Mama, I know you're so busy and your time is precious. So I hope today's episode has left you feeling more empowered around your choices and that your voice matters. If you have loved this week's episode, make sure you subscribe and get all the weekly updates. It would also be so awesome if you could leave a five-star review for this independently run podcast produced by this mama herself. And if you've had all the feels today and a mum's popped into your mind, jump over, send her a DM or share it on your stories. That would be the absolute best. If you have any questions at all, connect with me over on my Instagram at bellyandbeyond underscore and let's write or rewrite your story of motherhood together.